What's up, world? You are now listening to another episode of the Power Post Game Report, where we are here to discuss all things power. I am, of course, one half your host, Triple D, and he is... It's Carlos D. What's good, world? How we doing, sir? Can't complain. Another week, another episode of Power. Uh, feeling good, man. Just relaxing. Being one with the world. I feel good. Feel great. How about yourself? Not bad. I can't complain too much. Um, but before we do get down to business, uh, we got a little bit of old business to take care of. Um, we want to thank you guys and also apologize um, to those who stuck with uh, us through that last episode. We didn't realize this until we uploaded that there was a bit of an audio issue. There was a really crazy echo. Uh, we do believe we've gotten that worked out. Um, but thank you for all those who still listened and those who still told a friend to listen. Indeed, indeed. I never apologize for anything, so I can't do that part of it. But <laughs> we appreciate people listening. That I will say. All right. So we are here to discuss episode three of season three, Ghosts. Uh, this episode entitled Human Capital, uh, where things get moved around even further. And it all kind of leads into uh, pretty much what I uh, theorized for this particular season. That this season is going to be a whole lot of cat and mouse. And a lot of people that think they're the cat are the cat in some situations, but are actually the mouse in other people's situations. And they just don't know it yet. Um, any uh, initial thoughts on this episode before we dive in? No, nah, like I said, I think you said it, you hit it right on the head. It had a lot of moving pieces. A lot of people, schemes were shown. Some of them were revealed. A lot of plotting. Um, and I think some of the people we gave credit for being masterminds a week ago, I might have to rescind that just one <laughs> week later. Um, but, you know, overall, pretty good episode. And I'm ready to get into it if you are. Let's get to it. So this episode opens up with a little bit of... Um, daily hustle type stuff uh effie is on the move she's hitting the the ivy league circuit picking up drops and um she runs into an associate who's pretty much like why aren't you pushing at stansfield like the effie i know would be all about getting that money one way or another uh but effie is clearly reserved um and we we find out later but uh, it, initially, it seems to be out of respect for Tariq's wishes of not pushing at Stansfield because it is it is hot at the moment. And realistically, um, it's kind of a it's a reckless dice roll to to push at Stansfield when you know uh, that two people that you're involved with were involved, even though one was only proven guilty uh, with being a drug organization on the campus. Um but while this is going on, we got our boys, Davis, Tariq, and Braden out suit shopping uh, with martinis and whatnot on the midday. Any uh, any particular thoughts on our opening scene? Uh, just real quick, the Effie thing, just the fact that I feel like she's putting the most risk of anybody in our little quad right now. Um, she's like actively moving drugs, no couriers, no middleman. Uh, so like she's definitely taking the most risk of everybody else. Uh, and she kind of talks about why she's doing that as a part of this episode. We'll talk about when we kind of get to those scenes. Um, and then I didn't realize Davis, Braden, and Tariq was just that social where they are out shopping together. Uh, Davis never really made it seem like he was like friendly with them outside of any type of business arrangement. And unless they paying him to be their personal shopper, I didn't understand why they were kind of interacting on the social level because we've never seen them interact 
socially before. Davis right. has never really interacted with anybody on the show outside of some type of pay arrangement. Um, so it was a little off. Or some sex. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, no, yeah. You know, that's separate. That's different. Yeah. But I'm talking about like the main characters. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, <clears throat> while this is going on, uh, the Tejada side of the business is having an interesting morning themselves. Um, Lorenzo is being reintroduced to the bottom of the totem pole, um, getting beat up at a drop in broad daylight while his son watches on. And I, I mean, Hey, I get it. You know, you pretty much said that you're getting off light for Zeke and, uh, and drew, but who knows what else, uh, Kane has up, up in store or up his, up his sleeve for Lorenzo. Um, while this is going on, Drew has entered his villain arc. He just, just out here. Nice. Say again. I said he's just off his straight fuck boy. I mean, he he's a uh, he's a fuck boy scorned. Well, I mean, I don't know. I, I wouldn't say he was a fuck boy before, but um, Knows it seems like that's the move now. Yeah, yeah it definitely seems like, like that's the nice, move now. Trying to find him a nice man, and him and Everett was happening. Now he's just kind of scorched earth. Yep. You know, if he he getting his fuck you. Even the dude that he was hooking up with. Uh, it was like, damn, it's like that. It's like cause right. it was immediately he, he he finished, and he was like, okay, get the fuck out of here. I'm back on grinder to find my next conquest. Um, you know, so that was wild. Um, Even Kane was like, yo, another one. Yeah, yeah. So he's definitely off some new stuff. And then just real quick, the Lorenzo thing. Um, this is another part of the scene that didn't really feel right to me because regardless of what Kane and Lorenzo got going on behind the scenes, there's no way Kane is going to let people beat on his father because it makes the organization as a whole look weak. Uh, Lorenzo was like the top of this thing for so long, even when the time he was in jail. And for just letting random street people beat on your fops, pops, I, I don't think anybody in this lifestyle would do that because it will make the entire family look bad because uh, they don't know that you're just getting, you know, you're, you're being petty and get back at your father. Right. So I didn't understand that part of it either. It, it kind of, the opening scene kind of was threw me off my game uh, um, as far as realistic aspect of it. I think it was it was purely oh, excuse me purely Kane being petty because Lorenzo had him beat up in jail. Um, I think that was purely him getting his his one back. Right. Um, I feel like there's other ways to do it. Oh yeah, for you sure. Your soldiers beat up the guy that used to run this whole thing. For sure. And still um, father. Right. For sure. And and you're absolutely right. But at the same time, it's like while Kane has leveled up on the mastermind stuff over the seasons. He's still petty. Um, he's still petty, and he's still about that. You know, I'm a one up you. You know, one way or another. So I, I think it was it was purely that. Um, so from there, our our Fantastic Four get a, a a summons from henchman number one, who I, it's and you know those of you who've been listening for a while, you guys know one pet peeve of mine is is I hate I hate overzealous goons um, or villains just like unreasonable villains uh, he straight up threatening the family like they're moving the, they're moving the product they're doing what they're supposed to do um, they're clearly you know kind of a street level organization on one side and then three college students and you putting the pressure on them to you know, to move way more at an even faster rate, and it's just like, I understand you know you're a criminal empire and you got stuff to do, but like 
I hate when they go from zero to a hundred within an episode. Like it was one episode of either this or regular power where a villain asked for like, I think it was Davis. I think Davis asked for like $3 million by the end of the week or something. I'm like, come on, yo, like they're, they're college students, like still trying to live a double life. You know, obviously you can't really give them too much like leeway. Cause they, they all put themselves in this game, but like just for writing sake, I hate, I hate unreasonable, like uh, just unrealistically unreasonable thugs. So um, they're straight up. He's straight up on to, you know, get this stuff move or um, um, killing family members in order. Um, and this is where we get the 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 full on like, uh, I guess I'm not going to say reveal, but like it's touched on that Effie has no family because he called her little orphan Annie um, and at least no traceable family. So when she told the story about her brother getting getting either uh, killed or arrested for drugs way back when they were at Choate, I guess he was the last family she had or her family possibly disowned her. Um, any thoughts on that? Uh, no, I, just, I echo what you're saying. It's a little too cliche. And I think it's something that they've gone to the well a lot of times in power where the bad guys just says, here's another amount of money. You got to get it to me or we're going to start hurting you. Um, and I feel like they just... They go to that a little too often. I'm glad they didn't have like the thing what they normally do is like have some type of Mission Impossible type side mission that they got to do to try to raise this money like they've done so many times in the past. But I say it's still annoying. It's still cliche villainy. Um, so I, I wasn't a, a big fan of that and, and the villain's action as, as a whole. So we're on the same page when it comes to that. Yeah. So from there, we got the super cops on the on the hunt. And at each other's odds. I thought this was kind of, it was kind of funny, but also it's just like, I don't know if this was just like a little bit of fan service, but they're pretty much like, it was pretty much a scene of Whitman saying, we need to, you know, move on more reasonable leads. And you guys need to leave Tariq St. Patrick alone because every time you go after him, someone goes after him. He he always gets, gets out scot-free, which you would think Blanco of all people would have learned. Um, but it's it's literally Blanca and Sullivan um, pretty much treating him like he's like they've probably the way they've probably been treated in in rooms full of men. Um, they're calling him too emotional and that he needs to t- man up and, you know, get it together, which, you know, Whitman seems like the type who probably deserves that. He's probably been um, a straight up dick in situations like this where he was the one at the top of the food chain. Uh, but. For the for the likes of the show, it's just like you're all coming off of serious L's, and if you if you guys are serious about taking to well this organization down, you for real need to get on the same page because you all are a hundred percent aware of, of what happens if you miss on this. Like your careers could be done, and and some of you know that in other situations. People have, have been killed or arrested or tossed under jails for this. How did you feel about that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it was just a classic thing where they're just overly obsessed with Tariq and they were just trying to show up the ladies were that. Um, and then in, in, the, in the return, he's just overly obsessed with Monet. Uh, so you're right. It's not going to work unless they get on the same page. We've seen in the past, even when they were on the same page, the law enforcement on the show is not very good at their jobs for the most part. Um, the criminals always seem to get away, and that's kind of what the show is set up to be. Um, but I, I think that's just what it was. It was just kind of showing the difference between 
their motivations where they're both clearly out for some type of weird uh, number because either slash revenge slash just this unwarranted bias towards these individuals um, and they're just so laser, laser focused on on the one person that they want to, to bust that it's not going to make them task force, task force work well as a group uh, so that's what I got out of the episode I think that's what they were kind of building or they're just kind of mm-hmm. showcasing same uh, how did you feel about uh, the next scene? And I'll let you go into it with uh, Tariq being a, an understanding and supportive boyfriend to Effie. Uh, so this is the part where she kind of talks about her uh, one, the reason why she wants to move weight on Seinfeld, Stansfield, and also her desire to hit this certain number so she can stop being involved in this lifestyle. Um, and it, it kind of goes back to what they were doing last week when they were kind of showcasing that nobody wants to do this for the most part, um, other than Brayden. Nobody finds it, and Kane probably too. Um, but nobody finds it fun. It's not something that they love to doing. The hurting people, the moving drugs, the constant risk of danger. It's not something that they get joy out of it or like a thrill out of it. And I think that's just what it was. And then Tariq was, you know, being open and supportive as best he can, uh, as much as he can for his little psycho behavior. Uh, but I think that's what it was. I think this was just kind of showing that Effie is still torn about her commitment to bettering her life and the things she has to do to better it as opposed to her long-term plans of getting out of this and just kind of really possibly being an upstanding citizen. So what were your thoughts? Um, I thought it was a nice little change of pace. Um, I I felt like it was a little bit of a drop-off in the sense that it, he was very adamant about not selling at Stansfield, and for all the right reasons. Like, his reasoning made perfect sense, and she never really pressed the issue Um but at the same time, I, I kind of found it a little interesting slash weird that, um, and you know, when he heard about her safety number, which is a smart idea, instead of trying to find another way, he was just like, okay, sell at Stansfield, you know, um, like sell at Stansfield, you know, get your side hustle, you know, help. Like, I understand the being supportive part, but like, I, I kind of, I don't know, he kind of caved. Like, I kind of would have appreciated it a little more if he'd have been like, can we think of, can we try to figure out another way before we go to literally the last thing we really logistically want to do storyline wise? Um, so, you know, it is what it is. Uh, he, he green lights and gives, offers his support. Um, so I, I thought it was an interesting scene. I just, I don't know. I kind of wish it kind of would have played out a little differently. Um, so from there we go to we go to class and this this episode as well as the the class topic is human capital which without going too deep it pretty much boils down to how we use our relationships with people um do we exploit them do we use them for the the surface value relationships that they are um and what could possibly you know what happens when people uh outuse their usefulness um do you want to go into this scene uh no you, you can if you got some particular comments about it you can go ahead and leave it off all i know is i understood what they were saying as far as the subject matter i was more on top of the fact that like yeah this was a this was a spicy class this was a spicy class session everyone was taking shots at, at other people it's like it, it felt it was it was an eye-opener and it kind of perked me up 
but it, it was a little strangely out of character. Um, you got Tariq taking a shot at Bruchandria, um, Bruchandria taking a shot back at Tariq, which she's in the right, but us as the viewer, us as the viewers know that like, damn. Uh, you, you actually didn't get that. You, I mean, it was some backdoor stuff. Um, and how she got it kind of fits right in with the whole theme of the class. Uh, we got Diana taking a swing at, at Effie over Tariq, which was a fair swipe. Um, because Effie, Effie did tell her that like, yo, you're better off away from Tariq. She just kind of left out the part that like, and you know they obviously have that talk later, uh, but like, yeah, you're you're not a good fit for Tariq. I, on the other hand, well, don't worry about that. Um, and we get this, we get dude in the back taking a swipe at uh, Becca Weston, and all I kept thinking was because I didn't go back and look, was that the same dude from the memorial who shouted out, "You did it"? No, I don't know if they ever show who that guy was. I thought it was you. No, they definitely did. Oh, yeah, they definitely know. did. Um, but I think he took a swing at her as well as possibly someone else. Um, and I, I like how Professor Bennett was like, look, you, you can say what's on your mind, but y'all got to be respectful because it was getting a little, it's getting a little tense in there. How did you feel about that, that classroom? Yeah. I mean, that's what I got in my notes. There's just a lot of bickering that I don't think would really be allowed in the college classroom. Um, and the teacher just kind of took too long to get involved, but it was a lot of personal attacks, uh, a lot of dirty laundry getting thrown out there. Um, but I mean, you know, I guess that's heated debate. That's what they wanted to do. That's the point of college is to kind of get these things out and open. Um, and I'd be forgetting that that lady is, is the Western girl. Like I'd, I'd be just seeing some white girl talking in the class. I always forget that she's a part of the show now. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I said, it was just a bunch of bickering, a bunch of low blows and, and sneak attacks and, and, and deaths of each other. Um, and I guess it was just kind of feeding the point that like people, are only as good as what they can provide to another person. And if they can't provide it to you, then what's their worth? If they're worth anything to you at all. So good classroom discussion. I like to have to try to keep the education going a little bit. Um, but it was just a little bit too much petty bickering for my, for my taste. Uh, so right after this class and every time I see him pop up and he does something, my note says this TA, um, getting a, a little too friendly with a with a student under him uh in Diana and all I kept thinking was this dude's probably going to get killed probably by Kane and as soon as I thought that who's waiting at the end of the hallway Kane um again this school has the worst security ever uh Kane gets in and out of that place with guns like it's nothing uh pretty much you know checks is there to check up on Diana um Rightfully so, because uh, henchman number one definitely pulled out her photo on the candid and he just wanted to make sure she was good uh, without without also telling her like what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and he wanted to give her a gun in the middle of a hallway. Right. Uh, you he know, just go to her dorm room. Exactly. Because, you know, and, and this also kind of goes back to the, uh, the episode before when she couldn't afford any books. He yeah. gave her a stack of money. And that's yeah. what I said. never understood why. They try to make it seem like her family abandoned her for going to college when the only person who really abandoned her is her mom. Exactly. Her brother still mess with her. Her father still looks out for her. Uh, so just it just kind of brought me back to the ridiculousness of the, uh, the, the episode before when she was struggling to buy books. Um, but yeah, Kane, 
uh, is always on this campus. You think he didn't have a business to run of himself of his own. And then like the whole gun thing in the middle of the, the hallway was weird and silly to me. And also the fact I know you're trying to keep her safe by giving her the gun. Uh, but dog, how do you not? And I know later on he does tell him and tell everybody and they kind of drag her back in. How do you not tell your sister who is aware of the game, aware of the dangers of the game in that family that somebody might be out to get her? Um, it, 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 you know, I guess he's trying to just kind of be sly with it, but it, it didn't make sense to me. Um, that's something you do if the person knows nothing about what you do or what you're right. about. But she is deep in this family. She knows all that they are a part of. Uh, so it didn't make sense that he didn't like kind of tell her in a better way. Indeed, indeed. It's a fair point. Um, and I guess, you know, it, it luckily it that particular point does resolve itself fairly quickly. And it could have just been one of those. He didn't want to say too much. Um on the campus yeah right i mean exactly and that's you know that's the whole you trying to trust the writing of power um so we get a real quick scene uh at this bar that actually has a couple of patrons in it for once it's not just being used as some shady dealings or a murder scene right um and it's pretty much just dickman pressing monet even further uh this of course leads to her going to davis and I I thought this was going to be a bigger a bigger reveal, but Davis kind of plays it off, and Monet is also kind of like she can be kind of she can be a little bit she she's paranoid at the wrong times sometimes. I found um, if ever there was a point where she needed to press, this was the the moment because Davis showed her a blank phone, but I mean it did end with her getting a new a new burner phone. Um, anything else on this particular scene before? Oh, wait. Well, no, I- I'll let you go ahead uh, before we go into the Tejada di- family dinner. No, like I said, it was just in- intimidation taxes by Dickman. Um, weird to me because it's like if he knows Monet is who he thinks she is, I don't know why he thinks this stuff will scare her. Anything he's doing. He's just really being a new a, a nuisance more than anything else. But um, I think that's all that scene was just showing that he is still out to get her. and He's still an asshole. Um, and I guess it was trying to, I guess it's designed to kind of have some sympathy for Monet or kind of actually it's really designed to set the story up with her working with Davis. Um, yeah. which, 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 you know, it hit his goal. So that's all I got to say. We can, hit, we can hit the family scene. Okay. So Kane pretty much lays it all on the line that like, look, you're being targeted. Um, and we've, we've got to work together. Like him playing head of the house of, well, not head of the house, head of the family, uh, reasonably so. Because they're all kind of fractured um, in in all the ways that we, we know without having to go into it. And he understands it like, look, we got to we got to stick together um, for, you know, for for our own sake. And we also get him kind of flexing his his control over Lorenzo. Um, but at the same time, to a degree, I feel like Lorenzo was in line. Um, he was in line and he understands it like of what's at stake. Uh, meanwhile, Drew's waiting on the next the next booty call. He, you know, he's he's in it, but he's not in it. Um, I also hate the fact that like Drew or not Drew, excuse me, Diana once again threw Drew under the bus um, when they were talking about like how they found out about this. And her her immediate reaction was, oh, well, Drew still mess with that dude like, bro. This is how you ended up on the outs to begin with. Did you not learn anything? Like, 
take in the situation, you know, see if you can come up with a solution for yourself and just, you know, chill out on the shade throwing. Um, anything on that before we move on with the rest of that dinner? No, no, I think, I think, uh, but I think all of that is just they, that they're always fighting for their parents' approval because they always undercut each other. Each one of those brothers and sisters, uh, you think they will be this united front against their parents because their parents are always dicking them over, but I think they always so desperate to get their parents' attention, whether it be good or bad, and that's why they're constantly saying, no, Drew did something wrong, or no, Kane did something wrong, or no, Diana did something wrong, so that the parents will stop focusing on them and start putting that negative wrath on the other people. And that just comes from, I guess, years of just emotional abuse by those two parents. Uh, and that's why you, you see it. It constantly happens that these brothers and sisters, and even this episode you'll see with Drew um, and, and Kane, when Lorenzo expressly said Kane is in charge, how much they like bicker and, and, and undercut each other. So I think that's just like a, a function of this family. It's just a dysfunctional as family. And I don't think they are ready for any type of repair anytime soon. So I think that's all. That's all that. That's why Diana did it. Because just get the pressure off her. Spotlight off her. Moving on to somebody else. Hmm. Yeah, I wouldn't have picked up on that. The life of an only child. Um, there's no fall guy. <laughs> uh, that's why I was always doing my best to to not mess up. I, I didn't. There was no one to point the finger at. Um, so this is pretty much also... Kane coming up with his solution to uh, moving more product. And that's essentially to kill because again, he's gotten so much better, but at his core, um, Kane tends to be a bit of a, a Tommy guy force first. We'll figure out the logistics later. Um, he wants to kill uncle Frank's sons and take over their, their, their territory and their product. Um, and drew, being you know the head of the head of uh the voice of reason is like yo like you want us to essentially kill people we grew up with that are borderline fam and like that's just gonna make things hotter and you get kane pretty much being like well what what plan do you have like you know you put your phone down like do you have a solution and this was this was actually really well done on a couple of on a couple of levels because although he, in the grand scheme of things, he's gotten, he's gotten on board. But in the grand scheme of things, he doesn't want this life. Drew came up with a perfect plan immediately off rip. Like he had realistically 10, 15 seconds, which in real life, they, you know, he'd have probably thought about it for five to 10 at, at minimum. Um, and he came up with the perfect plan of let's get rid of the connect. This way, we only kill, you know, a third party, and then we become the connect, and we get rid of our, all this product that we have to sell, and we, you know what I'm saying, we help them push as well, and we get, you know, we get part of, we get to be part of their operation as well, and so it, it served that, like, Drew is good. He, when he wants to be, Drew is very good at this. Um, it also served because it's real quick, but you see Lorenzo with this look on his face, like while while Drew is um, concocting all this, it's like, that's why I feel like you should be in charge because not everything requires force. And that's actually a, that's a smart play. Like, this is why, you know, you're, you're level headed and we need you 
at least, you know, in his eyes, that's why he wanted him to be in charge. Um, because he came up with that so quick. Even Kane had to realize that, like, damn, that's a good-ass plan. Um, but Kane, being Kane, and again, this is probably a sibling thing, he felt that he had to still, even though he's going to go with it, he still needed to... Uh, he still needed to exert that he was the one calling the place and he's the one in charge. Um, and he did so by letting Lorenzo speak it true. Like mm-hmm. Kane's calling the shots. Your thoughts on all that? Uh, yeah. I mean, we, we know that Kane is more about muscle and not smartness, even though we have seen him come up with a couple of master, uh, mastermind plans the last couple of weeks. Um, but there's a reason why Frank, not Frank, uh, Lorenzo wanted um, Drew to be in charge. Because Drew is a little bit more level-headed. He is a little bit more diplomatic. He's a little bit more of a better strategic, uh, strategy kind of person. So the fact that he was able to come up with that plan so quick, and it also makes sense. Uh, it, it makes much more sense in the scheme of it to be the, you know, uh, to be distributing drugs to people who already have control of areas than for you to try to take over the area and replace them. Because while they got a, a networking system in place, all you're doing is supplying the drugs. We're trying to control the area. You need bodies. You need uh, soldiers. You need a whole much bigger network than you are if you're just distributing it. Um, and that's the mindset they should be at, especially with the volume they got to move. They can't be worrying about street blocks and making hand-to-hand sales. Their job should be able to find the most people that can move as much drugs as possible, and then they just kind of supply those drugs to them. Uh, so Drew was smart. Um, and then, of course, like I said, the end part that Kane still got to show his dominance to Drew and using uh, Lorenzo to do it. That's just that in that the, the bickering of the brothers and sisters, the end fighting that they're always going to be a subject to as long as their parents are around, because that's just the way they were, their parents raised them to be uh, competing against each other, as opposed to really being a, a, a more of a family union where they're looking out for each other, which will go a lot long, a lot longer and make them a lot more successful. So, you know, that, that's, that's my thoughts. That's just not how it played out. So, Indeed, indeed. So from there, we get an interesting uh, scene. Um, There's a a conference of pretty much a bunch of rich, powerful people. There is a rich and powerful black man there who goes by the letters RSJ. I forgot what they stood for. And um, Uncle Luke is there to pretty much get him in as a client. Um, That level of money brings a a ton of influence um, as well as um, other people in that same circle who would also trust him uh, with their money. And he's there to pretty much court him. And um, our guy, our RSJ, I believe he pretty much waves him off. Like, okay, you got a couple minutes, you know, sell me. And um, he was like, all right, you know, we'll, I'll think about it. We'll maybe we'll, you know, we'll set up an actual meeting. Um, that it was, you know, I, I really didn't care that much, but I did like the interaction between him and Tariq, um, where he pretty much helped him out with the with this business motto of uh, every now and then, you know, instead of looking for a bunch of high priced, like high wealthy targets, if you make it, if you make whatever you're selling affordable to the point where people can't afford to not get it. You you know you'll take a, a a big profit hit, but it'll it'll recoup in time, which was perfect for what Tariq was going through, and um, who knows possibly set up Tariq having um, setting up a relationship, therefore gaining another piece of human capital. Um, any thoughts on that scene? 
Yeah, I'm just I'm just curious to where they're gonna end up going with this RSJ guy. Um, because this is a guy. Uh, if you you know ever follow Fifty Cent, he's been trying to get this guy in the power or saying he wanted to roll for him. So it has to be more than just this little thing. So I'm just I'm curious to see how they're gonna loop him back into the big story long term. It, it, so it wait, just this little advice that the guy gave. It has to be more than that. So I'm wondering how they're gonna play him in long term. And the rest was like, yeah, it kind of just set up things to happen later in the episode with Tariq getting the idea to really get the business expanded. And basically, the idea that if you flood the market, uh, you may in the in the immediate, you know, not make as much. But when you become the dominant force in the market, you're really going to control everything. And all that money will come back to you tenfold. So good advice from the guy. Uh, also, like that he re- recognized what the white, white people were trying to do, basically using Tariq as just a token face. To get them some FaceTime with a black, you know, this black uh, businessman. And he let Tariq know, hey, uh, you know, he even gave Tariq some advice when it came to that. Like, uh, don't, you you understand why they brought you here? And Tariq was like, yeah. He's like, just make sure you're always getting something out of them like they're getting something out of you. Uh, so I, I like this interest to this new character, but I'm hoping to see where they're going to do. Is he going to be a recurring guy? Is he going to come back? Is he secretly shady? All that kind of stuff is, uh, more, is what I'm interested to see based off this scene. Uh, and not nothing, nothing special about the scene itself. So you said that Fifty was interested in getting this particular actor on, or yeah, is this guy? The actor. Okay, because he didn't look familiar to me. Uh, you have to watch some shows. Like I don't think you watched The Wire. He was really big no. on The Wire. Okay. Uh, you know he's not like this known known face. It, the Wire is probably what he's the most famous from. And if you weren't really a Wire fan or haven't seen The Wire, you ain't gonna recognize him. Okay. All right. So from there. We get our confrontation between Davis, uh, Monet, and Officer Whitman, or Detective Whitman, whatever. But um, the main thing from this was it's a callback to the previous scene where she wants him gone. And Davis is like, okay, but like, let me do the talking because you you got a mouth and we need to keep this in, in check. And I mean, he pretty much forecasted it. Um, Whitman starts pressing her and he, he gets under her skin just enough. And she mentions GTG and you can see Davis. Like I told you not to say in, in his face, it's like, not only that, not, you know, I didn't want you to say anything for this exact reason. Now there's a connection. Like he gets to ask more questions of why would they be after him? What connection do you have to them or did Zeke have to them? And it's just like he pretty much played off of Monet essentially being a hothead at times. Um, a lot of times for just keeping it real. Um, yeah. Like, how did you feel about that? I mean, like I said, I think you summed it up perfectly. Um, David, everything Davis told her not to do, she did. And I think a lot of it's just Monet either. Monet's, Monet has very little self-control. And she also thinks that she is right all the time. She she has to be the most powerful person in the room. And a lot of it is just kind of her ego. Uh, so, of course, she didn't listen to Davis because Davis' advice isn't what she wanted to do. Um, and she does, her, her idea is, you know, power, uh, intimidation, and you can't do that, you know, kind of playing off your back foot or being kind of quiet. Uh, so I'm not surprised it happened. Uh, you, you, knew, you knew based off all the preamble uh, from the previous episode that she was going to end up blowing up at this guy. And then she just gave us exactly what we thought was going to happen. Indeed, indeed. So we get a real quick scene back in um, <laughs> the rest the Western room. And th- this was pretty much just like 
uh, a bit of a throwaway scene, but it, it kind of puts a few things in motion. One, uh, we get <laughs> we get uh, Diana getting her first check, and which I thought was hilarious. Like you could tell, this was probably her first real legit job, just based off the disgust of that of her looking at that first check. Um, and two, like, I don't know if this was just lazy writing or what, but like, I don't understand why you would go, why Effie would go with the exact same gag, like, or scam, I should say with another, uh, another app. And the fact that like, I, I'm, I'm disappointed in the moment, but I feel like, I feel like, um, this is the swerve. I feel like there's going to be a swerve as to why Effie did it. And I'm hoping that I'm wrong at this moment and that they have a legit reason of why she would do something so blatant. Because even like Diana and Effie was like, oh, this is definitely Tariq and Brayden. So I'm like, maybe, maybe this way she's killing two birds with one stone to where like if they trace it back this time, it has like it doesn't touch them at all. And maybe then this this way she could set up Tariq to one up the school and he could be like, leave, leave me alone. Um, and who knows, maybe Braden, too. He'd be like, yeah, I, I told you I left that behind and now y'all blaming me for this. And they'll be like, OK, well, you can come back to school next year or something like that. Um, but how did you feel about that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely was uh, I think we all been there when it comes to the first check and not being what you think it's supposed to be. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what they what they trying to build because you're right. They at least uh, immediately assume it's, it's uh, Tariq and Brady, though they allegedly said they aren't doing it anymore. So I don't know what Effie's long term plan is. Um, you think she would be smart enough not to use something that they already used in the past? Uh, but she's she's definitely got the school back in business. She's still using the same lockers that they were using before the secret hiding spot. Uh, so maybe she's not as smart as she thinks she is. Maybe she thinks that they wouldn't be people like the police wouldn't think they'll be dubbed up to do the same scheme twice so i don't know we gotta let that play out i, I didn't really think heavily about um the what's and why's of the business uh just that it was back in business and we clearly know effie is the one that's behind it indeed indeed so from there we get and i i gotta be honest my notes are pretty straightforward on this one we get Braden and Tariq talking about the um the coffee slash cryptocurrency scheme to move more weight and i'm gonna be honest it was just it just registered as a lot of mumbo jumbo um the main thing is the you know between them and the brothers tahada they all seem to be on one one accord which i thought was you know that that was the the main thing i was like that's the important thing um but if you ask me next week how they're doing this whole coffee slash crypto coin thing, I got nothing. Um, how did you feel about that scene? Yeah, I think it was just a, a bunch of. Uh, I think it was just a, a scene just to fill, uh, mm-hmm. fill the audience in. It's all about. Go ahead and go into go into Kane's request after your thoughts. Oh uh, yeah, so I mean that's what I think it was just about exposition, just to let them know that hey, we found the new uh, source, uh, and this is the quickest way to let the audience know how they'll be moving this product moving forward. So I think that was the whole entire point of that scene. Um, and then I think the thing, the, the next thing is, um, is, is Kane's request is that he wants uh, the white boy to kill the Russians so that it doesn't look like some black people killed them. Like that, if anybody saw the killer, the shooter, they'll just think it was some other Russian killing another Russian. 
Um, and he puts the pressure on Braden to actually do something. Braden has been a lot of talk. Braden has done some nice, fun adventures. Uh, he's been involved in some wild shit, but uh, Kane knows he's never killed anybody. And Kane knows that realistically in this game, that's what we're going to need to do. And the quicker they can get him a body, the quicker he'll be less likely to, to freeze up if they actually have to do some real shit in the future. Things, you know, shit hit the fan. Because uh, right now, Braden is really a liability when it comes to that. And we see that later in this episode. He's yeah. not built for that part of the game. He loves the fun parts. He loves the selling drugs and the money and the access to strippers and, and girls and all that stuff that comes with it. But the actual violence part of it, we see clearly that Braden does not have the heart to handle that aspect of the job. Indeed. Um, yeah, I thought, well, and it, it plays out really well because Kane still is under the impression that Braden killed Lauren. Um, so, you know, in his mind, it's like, this is, this is nothing. Um, but so to him, it's like Braden feels like he thinks that Braden think he'd never have to kill anyone again. Um, then of course, you know, so real, real quick scene interjecting where essentially Davis and his see through office, um, get pretty much snuck up on by Sachs, who gets a clear picture of three people who should never be photographed in the same place. Um, it was a little too perfect, but also it's a little reckless on Davis's part. Like, you know, it's your firm. Make sure the place is empty, especially when you got Sachs doing stuff for you. Um, but hey, um, anything on that before we continue on? No, no. Okay. So we we go back and the only thing I, you know, everything that you said, but I just thought it was funny that, you know, when he, when he tells Tariq, um, he, Tariq's like, all right, well, you know, we got your back, which, you know, as, as your boys and your fam, that's what they're supposed to do. But I thought it was just funny. He was just like, I'm gonna go get some guns and, uh, we'll, we'll work it out. And I'm like, he made it sound like I'm gonna go get some Slurpees, but he replaced Slurpees with guns. Like, when did Tariq get access to guns like it's nothing? And who? Who, you know, who is his connect on that, on that part? Um, but, you know, it is what it is. Uh, so, Whitman blows it. He, he gets kicked off the case for, what was it? Um, I want to say, like, the whole harassment yeah, thing. Harassment on it. Um, the the only thing I really got out of that scene was Blanca called him a loose cannon, which I thought was hilarious. I was like, that's literally pot meat kettle. Um, any any thoughts on that before we move on? Nah, I think they were just kind of wrapping up the Monet and Dickman story arc, at least for right now. Mm. He, he's not done. He's back. I mean, yeah. towards the end of the episode. Yeah. Um, we get Diana confronting um, Effie, which I thought was an interesting scene uh, because... It, it, they both kept it real. I like that Diana was like, without saying it, she clearly felt some kind of way that Effie told her, like, you don't need to mess with a dude like Tariq. Um, like, he's not good for you, but me and him, we're, we're just kind of built different, which is a true statement. Um, but also I'm sure wasn't, wasn't easy for, for Diana to hear as, you know, as a girl with a crush and, you know, actually does have a connection to Tariq. Uh, but she told her, like, look, you know, we could use you in this thing, which 
the funniest thing about a lot of these first few episodes is that it's essentially contradicting a lot of the stuff in the first episode, where it's like they're trying to keep as many people out of it for their safety just to turn right around and be like, you know what? We actually do need you to help us with this. And someone else does that again later on in the episode. Um, But yeah, I'm, I'm kind of glad that it's not at least for now, it doesn't seem to be on some, you know, two girls fighting over Tariq type stuff. All right. And they both made it clear that that wasn't the issue. Right. And I, and I think that may be legitimate. I think, uh, of course, your feelings will be a little bit hurt because I think they, uh, Diana thought that they had like a little nice little sisterly bonding when they were out shopping and she was like, stay away from Tariq. Mm-hmm. Um, so I will be hurt too if somebody was telling me stay away from somebody and they turn around and get with them. Yeah. Um, so I, I get it. Uh, but I, I really think they do. I think they both ended it well. I think they both made their points and I think that hopefully they'll be able to work stronger together. So I actually like them two together. I, I, I thought they yeah. were going to start a little romance last season the way that it was kind of It was looking like it. Yeah. Uh, I guess they backed off of that at least for right now. Um, so I'm, I'm interested to see how Effie and Diana, now that they have cleared the air, work together especially since we know Diana isn't out of the game like she wanted to be by the end of this episode. We shall see. So now on to probably my biggest disappointment with the season. Apparently they couldn't get Redman back to to reprise his role as Theo Rollins. Yeah, um, I'm like, I didn't know who the fuck that was at first. Yeah. So like I I my initial thought was like, oh man. But then like when Sax talk, starts talking about the um the height differentials and all that stuff, I'm thinking like, well maybe maybe this is the real Theo Rollins. And Redman was like, yeah, I thought, I he, thought was he was a fall guy yeah, and like, you know, red man somewhere else. Yeah. But then like, I was they... like, I was like, cause I had to stop the episode and like Google. I was like, what the fuck happened to red man? Um, and now I, I Google that for whatever reason. And that nobody, no side has like made it known. They couldn't come to terms or whatever, or for whatever reason, red man's not coming back. So this guy's going to be replacing red man, at least in this episode. I don't know how many episodes moving forward. Cause the article wasn't even clear whether it's just like a one-time thing or is this going to be a long-term thing? But maybe just schedule is going to work out, whatever. Um, but I am sad to see that Red Man won't be continuing because I think him and Method Man yeah. have really great chemistry. It's a, I mean, they've been friends probably for 20-something plus years. Um, and I think they really work well together. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed that Red Man isn't coming back. But I wish they would have gave like a, a stop it real quick um, note on the screen. Mm-hmm. Or even, uh, I don't know, you know, when I was used to be a kid, um, and my, I used to be like home from school. Sometimes I would watch the social with my grandma. On the soaps, they would if, if somebody was playing a different character, they would literally stop the show and the voiceover would come on and say, Previously somebody was doing this new character so so you'll know who the person is. So you're not just right. guard by it. So I wish right. they would at least gave a little splash on the screen. This is the Red Man character. Um, yeah. I guess it's not realistic. Um but it's good to see you know, at first I was just lost and confused by it. Um but we see we we learn in this episode I mean the scene that um you know Davis was just a young guy. Uh, apparently about 21 years old and his brother took the rap because Davis had a bright future ahead of him and um, the cops and the attorneys may have played like quick and fast with them um, and that's why David is hell been on getting his brother out because he thought it was probably going to be a quick slap on the wrist or something minor and now here it is they don't even, I don't think I don't think they how many years later but if they you know Davis got to be like 40 something on the show so it's been right. 20 something years that his brother's been locked up and now that right. he's also sick we got to see where that's going to go Exactly. And the the main thing I took away from this is like we, we, you know, between some of the scummery and his random sex scenes, 
um, Sachs is a good lawyer. Um, because, you know, once he, once he figured, you know, he got a little bit of info, he pieced it all together fairly quick. Um, from there we get, <laughs> oh gosh, this, I, my, my next disappointment is this crazy rushed, slightly thirsty, um, connection between Professor Bennett and Tate, where they're about to tongue each other down in the middle of this, you know, this cafe. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you barely been talking to each other for, you know, five minutes and y'all about to get it on in the middle of this cafe. Yeah. And I, um, I get it that they have a history. They, they clearly allude to the history. Uh, but I think it's another character and sadly another black woman that this show is not doing a good service to. Uh, similar to what they did with Kiki in the episode before, just making her like this love struck for Tate uh, kind of woman as opposed to this powerful professor that she should be. Uh, I think it's a disservice to her and it, it, it took me out of the scene. I was I couldn't even really get into the rest of the scene when they was doing all that mushy, lovey-dovey stuff when literally it, it just wasn't vibing for me. So I, I was kind of out on it. But go ahead, give your thoughts on, on, I guess, the scene as a whole. Uh, yeah, I, I feel you. Like, I didn't snap back into it until Blanca and Sullivan pulled up on them. And Tate, being Tate, immediately throws Tariq into the fire. Jesus. Um, pretty much just, <laughs> oh my God. What did he, what did he do? He, I forgot, he, he sold out. The internship. He just let him know that the internship. That he was still messing around with Brayden. He was still connected to Brayden. Right. He was right. In with the Western, Western exactly. Like, just I was like, geez, Tate, like, why are you so grimy? Like, we know you're grimy, but like this was this was just like this was his way of saying, like, whatever you're coming at me for, leave me out of it. And here's 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 Tariq. And here's what he's doing at this very moment. I was like, damn. He didn't even he didn't even resist. Any any thoughts on that in particular? No, I mean it's typical of him. Like we 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 expect him to be a different person. He's shown that he's always out for himself. He's shown that he'll backstab somebody. He did his own brother dirty. So why would he not do some little kid who he has a quasi relationship with? So it just shows Tate being Tate, his normal usual shenanigans. All right, from here it's time for Braden to step up. Now, before, I mean, we obviously know what happened. Um, did you think Did you think he was going to do it? Did you think Brayden was actually going to go through with it? Nah, I knew. I knew because they, they put too much on it early in the episode about his not really doing anything, his fear behind it. I knew he wasn't going to do it. Um, and, of course, he freezes up in the moment. He's talking to the guy too long. He's engaged him, doing all this type of stuff. If there were any witnesses around, they would have clearly spotted him because he's just talking forever and ever and ever about it um so surprisingly he's about to get himself killed and of course Tariq comes in and saves the day uh and drops another body and at this point Tariq just does not care about killing uh no hesitation uh no thinking about it no upset about the fact like he's the total opposite of Brayden as much as Brayden is trying to stay away from getting a body Tariq gets one with gets one with ease uh, then runs off, and then all of a sudden, Tariq speaks Italian. Where'd that come from? So, um, I feel like they, I feel like they brushed on that, like back in, um, back in 
book one. Like, I feel like they, they touched on that. Like, he was learning it at Choate or something like that. Yeah, yeah, um, but, yeah, everything you said, he, you know, he went in. I don't know. I think, I think, I don't know. I I, I think Braden could have done it. And the, my question is, we we know that she didn't, you know, her her attempt on Lauren failed. Does Effie have any bodies that we know of? Uh, not that we've seen on screen. I don't think that they actually showed her shoot anybody or hurt anybody. Okay, I couldn't remember if there was a, a you know a one off in season two or something think, like that. If it is, I don't remember. It, but uh, I don't I don't recall her doing any of the the you know the work that the other people have done as far as like being a crazy shootout, shooting people down. Um, but you know. I could be mistaken. It's been a lot of episodes so far. Okay. So this scene, the only other thing that really happened in this scene that was noteworthy to me was that, and this has always been a peeve of mine. If you guys have been listening for a while, they took an unnecessary shot at ghost. Um, It's, you know, when he's pretty much kind of just opening up to Effie and I feel like they had done a very good job for the most part of him trying to get away from um, his father's sort of past and his, you know, his father's mannerisms and stuff like that. But one thing that I I didn't like was the yet again, kind of spitting on his father's grave. And this is all writers Um, ever since, ever since the last episode of ghost or excuse me, of power. Like we, I, I feel like we don't even hear Omari Hardwick's name as much anymore especially in regards to power so like i feel like he doesn't have any involvement with it and it makes me wonder if there was a fallout between him and maybe the writing or the producers or something because realistically yes ghost was extremely flawed um but when you're really looking at it everything Tariq is doing now and the way he's talking about it and taking care of his family is everything that ghost was trying to do the entire series of the first book or it's just like he just wanted better options for his family and it, it always blew my mind how people hated him for that so much um from his best friend who you know watched this man have and raise a family uh to his own wife who like Tariq was like, well, my mom was the real brains behind it. And I was like, while she did like on the money, on the money tip was clearly like, you know, and had that on lock the, the first book, the first series kind of showed that like, nah, she made a lot of bad moves that put people in jeopardy. Um, herself included her son included once she got to his spinoff, making bad calls from jail and stuff like that. Um, and it's just like, I hate the, you know, the unnecessary, to me, it's unnecessary. Like, I feel like he could have gotten the point across that he wanted Effie to reach her goals and the best for her without having to, you know, take another piss on his father's grave. Um, but that's just me. Uh, but I did, I did like the fact that he does genuinely want her to hit her exit goals so she can get out and at the very least have a semblance of a normal life. Um, how did you feel about all that? I mean, yeah, I think it was sweet, a sweet scene. I like, so I, I don't really, I mean, I think this is part of the character. Uh, we know ghosts, like, you know, you really think deep about the ghost situation. 
I think Ghost is dead, and he doesn't need to be constantly brought up on the show at all because he's just a, he's a non character. And unless they can right. bring him back at some point, I don't care about Ghost or what Ghost used to do. I'm more focused on these characters now. Uh, the scene itself, I think, was cool. I mean, it shows that Tariq, at least, even though he's got a lot of sociopaths, tendencies, he appears to at least care about Effie a little bit. Uh, and he's uh, committed to helping her reach a goal. Um, even though I don't think there's really an out for her. So it's not like she hits her goal and she'll just disappear and they'll just find somebody else to start making all those Ivy League runs. She still is committed to this and still, and still be connected to it. And now that she's involved herself and, and it's known by the the Brits, who are the bad guys, she couldn't, she couldn't just walk away anyway. She's stuck. She's there as long as they're involved in it. Um, so I think it's a sweet scene with I, no real payoff because there is no out for Effie where she just hits... $10,000, you know, for example, and that she'll be allowed to just walk away. That's not happening. Um, but it was sweet. Um, it shows that, uh, you know, there is still some human, at least partially in Tariq. Because uh, at this point, he's, he's really turned into like this monster. Uh, uh, way worse yeah. than his father ever was. So. Yeah. And again, and nah, I'm not, I'm off my, I'm off my, my justice for James St. Patrick's soapbox, at least for this episode. Uh, so from there, we get the meeting between uh, the Castillo boys. And um, this was an interesting scene because it, it took me a while to piece together what exactly was happening on the, the kind of side of it. Um, <laughs> but man, uh, also, I guess kudos to Power for having many uh, a different sexual orientation orientation in the in, in thuggetry. Because uh, I was like, what is happening? Like, I had to rewind it and piece it together. I was like, oh, his grinder match <laughs> is getting closer. Um, and I was like, oh. So these guys, they're not, they're like family. They're not straight up family. At least I don't think. No, no. Um, call him Uncle Frank because he was tight with his, you know, you know how sometimes yeah. you'll see black family. Well, no, I don't know. If it's a, I know. I'm going to say black because I'm black. Um, but you'll see a lot of black people who we have cousins and, you know, God moms and all those types of stuff who we call family, but aren't actually a part of our family. So they aren't blood family. I don't think they have any blood connections. They are just, uh, two, they just grew up together because their fathers were tight. Um, so these are uncle Frank's children. Their parents be for them. They kind of move as a group as this team and majority of rules is, I guess the rules of the day. Uh, so they, at first, are unwilling to kind of just fall into line um, because it's like, they, you know, they see the same things that we all see. It's a mighty big coincidence that our connect gets killed and then mm -hmm. ultimate, you know, as soon as I connect to the deal, you all of a sudden pop up with this great business opportunity. So they're a little uneasy about it as well. And then they also put Kane on to knowledge that uh, while Kane thinks it's just the Russians or he tries to lose it, it's just the Russians with some infighting, the, the, the shooter was black. Black just like Kane is. Um... So Kane, you know, kind of, kind of dials all that down. They play the family card, and it looks like they have started a good business relationship. Uh, but you know, this is not gonna last long. Uh, nope. Between Drew probably fucking around with the dude that's the leader of their little group because he is the one that they've been talking to on Grinder. Uh, between them not really trusting Kane and and Tahada family as a whole, I don't think this is a partnership that's long for the world. Uh, what'd you think of it? Um, I thought this was a it was very well done in the tension um, as well as them kind of acting on the fly uh, because when the, the hit goes down, my first thought was, yeah, security saw Tariq run off. 
Um, they saw a black guy run off. So this is going to monkey wrench them. Um, so when they, you know, the G's as they're, they're referred to as they kind of drop that knowledge. It's like, you see the, you kind of see the scramble, but they all kind of hold it down. And I like the fact that Lorenzo, like he played the, he played the OG card of like, I saw it. Like I, I heard it was a white boy and that's what we're going to go with. Um, and I honestly think that this is a, you know, this is a good opportunity for all of us. And I think this, and he also played the, this is what your father would have wanted role, uh, card, uh, which I thought was a smart move as well. Um, I think it was interesting that they, because it's for them, they go, they go for a, they kind of keep it a little diplomatic, uh, Kane being Kane. He wants to know who was the odd man out because Kane being Kane probably wanted to kill said person. Mm -hmm. Um, but I like that. I like that one. Lorenzo stepped up. Two, Drew caught on to that with the quickness. Like, something, something ain't right here. Um, and three, Kane can't go and push Lorenzo too far. Like, he's having too much fun. Because realistically, you know, at least in black families, um, nine times out of, not, you know, 99.9% .9 of the time, th there will never be a situation where a son has that much one-upsmanship on his uh on his on his father mm -hmm. um can't speak for other cultures but like you know the fact that kane's being petty off the stupid kid line that you know he's clearly just he, he threw out as a jab but like he took it he took it to heart and he's gonna make him push more product as, as punishment like i was like okay and that look that lorenzo gave was like okay that that was it He's going to push him too far. It, now it's just a point of when, which we all knew was coming. But now the, the clock has officially started ticking. What did you think on on how that kind of played out? Oh, uh, yeah, I agree with what you're saying. Kane is just going too far. Um, that's why I say I, that's why I didn't really believe the open scene It's like I, I get Kane will kind of needle his father, but I think he's just going over the top. And maybe that's just the immaturity of Kane, because we got to remember Kane is like 21 years old. So and this is his first time having any authority or power over his father who we've seen has been mistreated, who has mistreated him in the past. Uh, emotionally abused him. Probably has done some physical abuse to him as well. Uh, you you brought it up earlier. Got him beat up in jail. Uh, so I think he is being a little bit too petty, and it will be to his detriment at some point. Indeed. So, meanwhile, at the McLean firm, Sachs has connected the dots, and I like the fact that they they kind of didn't linger on it like davis comes clean um but i i also think that sax's new sense of nobleness is gonna be his kiss of death um because i understand he is on a redemption arc um he he wants to be a good guy again he knows that he can never be truly good because he's done a lot of terrible things um but i appreciate the fact that he wants to try and be better um, for those that he's failed. But I do feel like this is going to get ultimately started his death clock. Uh, what, did you, what did you think about that, Davis, being up front with him? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm shocked that Davis was so upfront about it. Um, but I guess he was just kind of busted. Uh, but he just basically gave the, the story. And it made Davis actually a little bit more human. The fact yeah. that he is so um, passionate about his brother and his brother um, serving this crime on his behalf. Um, so I definitely think, you know, what, does that mean this is hitting to the end of sacks? I don't know. 
at this point, Sax is what nine years into playing this character, and I don't think there's ever gonna be a time when Sax is gonna be involved in some type of way. Uh, but we'll see long term. But I, I think the the biggest thing that I got is so it really gave a human side to Davis, who has been like more cartoonish, mm-hmm. uh, either obsessed with money, obsessed with yeah. sex, obsessed with like uh, his his clout or, or winning law cases than he has been. Uh, any type of really human aspect of it. So I think that's what I like the most about the, um, the scene. Turn Davis into like a real person. Next up, uh, top of my notes. This TA is about to lip lock down Diana on this random Tuesday afternoon in this dorm room. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's it, most of it's pretty straightforward. Um, but my issue was like, why wasn't the door locked? Cause she just says, come in. Uh, I mean, I guess she probably, I mean, they, it's, it's clearly shut. And I guess that people don't just randomly walk into rooms. I mean, but I, I, I was more shocked. I, I always had that in my notes that I was shocked that actually somebody on the show actually knocked. Cause normally people just walk into the places on, on this show. Um, well, the fact that Lorenzo showed some respect and actually knocked on the door. I gave him some kudos in my notes. Well, you gotta remember that she's not in a single room. You know what I'm saying? She got a roommate. Like, I'm pretty sure at home, he they probably bust up into each other's room all the time. But you can't bust in on someone and your 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 daughter's white roommate girl is the one that opens the door and is probably is possibly undecent. Can't you can't roll the dice with that. But I just didn't like the fact that the door was unlocked with what was about to happen. Cause there was no setup for that. There was about to, there was about to be some some things hanging in there. Mm. So like, why wouldn't you lock the door? It's college. I don't care. Like, lock the door. I don't know. I, I can't remember back. I don't think people. I don't think the door was like constantly locked. Like, no um, like a system you have. I, and I also don't think she was in there with that purpose. I don't think. I think the scene was kind of leading down there, but I don't think she bought the CAD to like fuck him. So I think that's you know. Fuck, that's minutia. We getting caught up on locked doors. I mean, instead of instead of what happened actually in the scene, um, yeah. which is Lorenzo, uh, and this you know got to feel like he's at his lowest at this point where he has to come and ask his baby girl, who he at the start of the season, and I know we only in episode three, but went out his way to give her her dream, or at least put her on the path to her actual dream. He knows she doesn't want to be involved in this game. He knows she just wanted to be a normal kid and go off to college. And he had given her all that, and now he has to come back kind of hat in hand or on his knees and ask his baby girl to do him the solid because he's lost control of his family. Uh, so I, I think that's, this is another thing, you know, where in a, on a show full of like people who are drug dealers and killers and, and bad things. I think they showed a real, another human side of Lorenzo where he really had to swallow his pride and go ask his baby girl, who he clearly, if you watch these episodes, has the most affection for when it comes to his three children. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I I think that really made Lorenzo more of a human character as well. Uh, similar to what happened with Davis and his brother in the scene before. What did you think about the uh, request to ask her to start getting into the game? Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, pretty much everything you said. Like, it was it was an act of a desperate man. Um, which, again, just kind of adds to the fact that, like, Kane's going to push him too far. Um, because now Diana was already involved as a target. Now she's going to be hands on. Um, and as I think the thing that kind of bugged me a little bit was like, he, he asked her to do it. And then like, he didn't kind of like, he didn't like kind of offer to like help her with certain avenues as far as like how she's going to do it or, 
you know, certain little tips or tricks or something like that. Because she's never, as far as we know, she's never, she's only watched. She's never had to like really do this. And for him to, her to just, excuse me, for him to just drop off a bag and be like, hey, handle that for me. It's like, I don't know, maybe she has had some experience with it in the past, but like that's something I would see him doing to like a Drew or a Kane. I think it but, most shows his desperation. I didn't mean to cut you off, but I think it most shows his desperation because for sure. if he had avenues to get drugs off, he wouldn't be coming to Diana. He wouldn't be dropping a bag for the lot if he had tips and tricks for her how to move it because he would have did that himself. Uh, the fact that he's giving it to her with no direction and no guidance other than I need, you know, Poppy needs this help shows another layer of his desperate, uh, the desperate nature he's under. So I think that was actually a cool nuance that he doesn't give her a step-by-step booklet. Because if he could do that, he could have moved it somewhere else. That is true. That is true. So yeah, now Diana is fully involved. Um, so she's in deep. Um, Speaking of being in deep, Brayden is in too deep. Um, Brayden, I, I hope this was his wake up call of moving a little more cautiously because sure, on the surface level, he's thinking, you know, what could possibly happen to me on the middle of a Wednesday afternoon at 3 p.m. on a sunny, sunny day? Um, you could have been killed and tossed into this uh, into this river uh, easily because Kane got the drop on him. In broad daylight, um, and was ready to end him over, you know, the their plan kind of being fudged just a little bit. Yes, you got to connect out, but someone saw that a black dude did it. You're clearly not black. And as he said, unless you were in blackface, um, you, you know, and it just pretty much relates to you owe me a body. Um and, you know, I'm going to collect. So at some point, Brayden is going to have to pull that trigger. Um, Man, at some point, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking it's going to be Kane. Because this, this bullying is getting on my nerves. Like, he's constantly bullying him. And uh, it's just not really sitting right with me. Like, this Kane and Brayden dynamic. I don't understand why. I mean, I get it. Like, Brayden is supposed to, like, Brayden. Kane's supposed to be, like, this tough guy and scary and all that type of stuff. But the way that he's bullying Brayden... I don't buy it. It's not really ringing true with me. I feel like Braden would be a little bit more, uh, you know, not combative because he, you know, I guess he's afraid. But I don't like how he's just constantly bullying him, and it doesn't really do a lot for me when it comes to the interactions. Well, I think this was him reasserting who he actually is because he hadn't really had an issue on that level with Braden um, since the their field trip. Like, they had been kind of like, even though, Bra- you know, Kane was a dick to Brayden, like, Brayden never felt in danger around Kane or threatened. Like, you know, he might beat me up or something like that, but it's whatever. You know, I have a, I have an older brother. I've been beat up before. This was, I think this was Kane's, like, reminding him that, like, dude, I'll kill you. Like, just, you know, just so you know, we've been cool-ish these past, you know, years, some months or whatever. I'll kill you. If it comes down to it, it's broad daylight. I got a gun to your neck and like there, I could easily get rid of your body by kicking it 30, you know, less than less than 30 feet in front of me into the into the ocean where I'm pretty sure there's countless bodies down there. Like, make no mistake. Like when I tell you to do something, do it because I'm done playing with you. 
And I, I think it was essentially that. I do agree. The bullying of Braden has to come to a head at some point. I do see Kane dying at some point. Weirdly enough, I see Tariq doing it. Weirdly enough, out on top of that, I see him doing it for Braden for whatever reason. Maybe, maybe Kane makes good on his promise and does kill Braden and Tariq needs to get his get back. But time will tell. Um, and that's where the episode ends because, uh, Kane calls Effie <laughs> and is like, we, we need to figure out, you know, we need to talk. So, like I said, you know, the same way I started off this episode, it's pretty much everyone is doing stuff behind everyone's back. And oddly enough, I think Tariq might be, as far as the people directly connected to him, he might be the only one not really moving behind anyone's back. Everyone else is or has been. Um, which is hilarious to me because I want to say that last season, those first 10 episodes of Power, uh, book one, Ghost was legit trying to do right by people and everyone was out to get him. Whereas in this particular, so far, it seems like Tariq is actually trying to do right and pay off his debt to Noma and keep people from getting killed and everyone's moving around behind his back. How did you feel about the end of the episode? Uh, yeah, I mean, I agree with what you're saying. Tariq seems to be the one that's the most up and up with everybody. While everybody else is scheming. And we're going to see how it plays out long term. Uh, at some point, he's going to realize that a lot of people have played him this season. Uh, and I want to just curious to see what his reaction might be when that actually comes up. Uh, so I think it was another good episode. I think they did a lot of story building. A lot of things that they can work off on over the course of these next seven episodes. Um, so I think solid, solid B plus, um, look forward to next week in the, in the overall kind of final thoughts on the episode. Um, I'm going to go with a B, um, there's a few, you know, writing things in there that kind of, I wasn't the happiest with, um, I'm with you. I hope we get a, maybe, <laughs> uh, hopefully, hopefully the next time Theo Rollins comes back, it's red man. And we just, we just. We just act like it, it didn't happen like that, you know, couple episodes where they changed the opening theme song. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm looking forward to see what happens next. Um, the I, but I, I have to be honest, I saw the the preview for the next episode and it just seems like it's at least to a certain point, a little more of my my pet peeve of the um, the unreasonable uh, henchman thing. Uh, but, you know. Let's let's see what happens. Um, any final thoughts in general before we get out of here? No, just ready for next week, man. Another fun episode of the Power Post game. So I, I enjoyed myself. Thanks for making it what it is, sir. Indeed, indeed. As always, you can find him at the PLP Podcast on all uh, on the on the Instagram and all podcast platforms you can find this episode as well as others you can find me at off the clock pod at o-f-f-t-h-a clock pod pretty much everywhere as far as social media as well as on um streaming platforms for podcasts so of course as always i'm one half of your host triple d and with me as always is carlos d and we'll see you guys next time <laughs>